you know, I just want to get out of the way. There is no way that this message can live up to any expectations. I don't know why I said that this would be my last message. Uh, uh, I googled what to say on your last day as senior pastor, and there's just not any good Google results. They don't teach you what to say at Bible college. They don't teach you what to say uh, in in seminary. Not that I really went to seminary, but uh, I've heard. Um, also, the craziest thing happened this morning. Uh, there in the back of the room are like 200 people cutting onions in here. So if you see any water coming out of my eyes, it's not tears. It's the onions. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, I just wanted you to know it's crazy, crazy. Miracles happen. Uh, uh, before I move on, there are some thank yous that I want to say, and, and I, I typed them out because of the onions. Um, I want to say a special thank you to a few people, although I could spend my entire allotted time this morning just thanking one person after another. Uh, I, I could start with our unbelievable, uh, ama- amazing Wonderful, God-fearing, God-loving, Jesus-glorifying Bayou City core team uh, who we owe a debt that we could never repay. On through all of the amazing leaders that I've had the privilege to work with here, uh, but there are six people, Onions, um, that I want to thank in particular. Uh, First, uh, could somebody bring me a water? I don't know if... That's uh, not that there's anybody here, COVID. Um, oh, thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, this is going well, I think. What do you guys think? Um, there are six people that I want to thank in particular. First, I want to thank Beth and Keith Moore, Amanda's parents. They were the third and fourth members of Bayou City. Uh, They were the first people we told about this little dream in our hearts. They have been our constant supporters, our wise counsel, our credibility, our guardians, and most of all, they have been our parents. Thank you for jumping on this boat with us. Your graciousness, patience, and love have made all the difference. I also want to thank my kids, Jackson, Annabeth, and Willa. You have handled being pastor's kids with such grace, and I am very, very proud of you. And I want to thank Amanda. I could not have asked God, uh, God for a better teammate than you. You are my perfect match. Thank you for walking on the mountaintops with me. Thank you for holding my hand. In the valleys, thank you for being the wind in my sails, in the work, and my safe harbor at home. Thank you for telling me that my messages were great, even though we both knew they weren't. Thank you for being yourself, true and authentic at all times. Thank you for your deep and abiding commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last nine years, I have received way more credit than I deserve, but you have not received enough. Great is your reward in heaven. Please share it with me when we get there. You know, Bayou City uh, started in an interesting moment in my life. Uh, For those of you who are clean, clean, uh, you know, you like a clean home. uh, And, uh, you know, when you're cleaning and everything is perfect, that's offensive. Uh, 
Thank you, though. Uh, yeah, you, you know when you're, you're cleaning and the, the whole house is spotless uh, except for one little smudge and it just really bothers you. That's, that's the way I felt like my life was in, in 2010. I, I loved my family. I, I loved my church. I, I loved my job that I had. There was just this one area that really bothered me and got under my skin. I, I felt like I had more to offer to Christ's kingdom than I was currently contributing. And that really bothered me because of what I believed about Christ. And if he really is all of the things that, that he said he was and, and the scripture affirms, then, then I, I wanted to do more. I, I wanted to give more. I felt like that was the appropriate response. And so God used that little seed of holy discontent to stir in us the desire to to be a pastor. That wasn't something I had ever really longed for. And uh, it, it eventually, eventually, it developed into what would become Bayou City Fellowship. And, you know, God brought an amazing group of people around us in the beginning. And, and without them, none, none of this would be possible. And um, we had an amazing summer in the summer of 2011, meeting on Sunday nights to pray and dream and work and eat and eat some more and pray and dream and work and eat with our eyes set on September 11th of 2011, the first official Sunday of Bayou City Fellowship. And on that Sunday, I brought a message from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Um, I found that CD it's to this week in, in, in my attic. Uh, to my knowledge, it is the only copy of that message. It will remain the only copy of that message. But uh, I thought today, because Google did not yield a good result on what to say on your last Sunday as a senior pastor, I thought I would finish where I started. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken." And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It says in verse 1 that the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. And he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. So you can picture it. Jesus is teaching on the shore of the lake and the crowd is swelling and as it swells, it's starting to get closer and closer and closer to Jesus. 
You, you might imagine what he was feeling because in these COVID days, uh, when people are getting close to you that you don't know, you can feel yourself kind of, uh, you know, trying to protect your personal space. So Jesus is starting to be crowded because people want to hear the word of God. Now, here's what's interesting. Lots of people, a whole crowd, a swelling crowd has come to hear Jesus teach. And yet we're going to see that he only leaves with a few disciples because there is a difference between listening to Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple hears and then acts. A disciple listens and then obeys. And this was really what was in the heart of, uh, of the seed that we planted that became Bayou City Fellowship because Amanda and I and many of our friends, we were going to church uh, every Sunday, deeply committed, reading the scripture, I'm sure, Monday through Friday. And yet when the action part came, our primary action was just doing all of those things, going to, to church. My greatest act of faithfulness was attending church on Sunday. And we wanted a little bit more than that. We wanted to contribute more to Christ's kingdom. Right? So in that amazing summer that we had right before the church started, we read in the, the, the Chronicle that... Uh, there had been an apartment fire in Spring Branch, and, and Spring Branch was where we were going to start the church, so that was our neighborhood. We had always had in our minds that whatever neighborhood we ended up in, we wanted that neighborhood to know that we had moved in and be glad that we did. And so here is a fire in our new neighborhood, and so I called the reporter uh, so that I could get the name of somebody at the apartment complex that, to see if there was anything that we could do. She connected me with the apartment manager, and, uh, and so our, our core team, we collected a bunch of stuff, uh, all kinds of stuff, kitchen stuff, house stuff, clothes. And Amanda and I and uh, one of our original church members, Angela Stamps, uh, and Annabeth, who was two years old, we went to the apartment complex one afternoon, blazing hot Houston day, and we laid all of those things out. And people who had lost everything in that apartment fire were coming uh, and, and finding the things that they, they needed. We started to build a relationship with the apartment complex. So the apartment manager had our phone number. And whenever she realized somebody in her complex was in need, she would call us. Uh, we provided more beds than I care to count for people who, because of the fire, were just sleeping uh, on the floor. Because we wanted to be people of action, not, not just people who hear, but people who, who act. The first Sunday of, of Bayou City, September 11th, 2011, I don't know if you remember uh, nine years ago, but there were wildfires raging between Houston and Austin, and one had come pretty close and, and, and caused some significant damage in Waller. And so when it came time for the first offering of Bayou City Fellowship, uh, um, just as without any kind of plan, which has really been the summary of my ministry here, uh, uh, I, I'm taking the offering and just announce really without thinking, half of everything that you give today is going to go to people who are affected in the, the Waller fire. That just seemed to me to be the right thing to do. We want to be people of action, not people who take offerings, but people who give in, in Jesus' Jesus' name. And, and, and that attitude reached its pinnacle, I think, um, during Hurricane Harvey. I mean, you, church, were... As soon as you heard that there were church members who were affected, you were in their homes. Then we started to organize and how we could affect and help more than just people in our church family, but whole neighborhoods of the city. 
people heard what you were doing and how you were serving from around the world, literally, and they were sending offerings, they were sending gifts. And if you remember this, this building that we're in now was a warehouse at the time. We had not yet even begun to renovate it. And, and, and there was a giant pyramid of bottled water and paper towels and shovels and sheetrock materials. And, and you were doing the work. And th- that first Sunday uh, after Hurricane Harvey, we gathered in the warehouse for worship, and it, to me, it was the it was everything that I wanted. We wanted Bayou City to be. We worshipped the living God, and then we grabbed our shovels. Because there is a difference between being somebody who just listens to messages and somebody who acts. The listeners fall away. And we see this through the Gospels. And listen, we're going to see this at the end of this pandemic. The, the church people who are just listeners, they're not coming back with us. But the people who want to act, the people who want to do, the people who want to serve, they're the ones who have unshakable faith. And the coronavirus can't touch that. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So we know that Peter and his friends, they are professional fishermen. They've been fishing all night. The way that they would fish, they would throw a dragnet into the water and and pull it up. and, And hopefully they will have caught some fish in the net. The reason they were fishing at night, people speculate, is because during the day in the light, the fish would potentially be able to see the net, but in the cover of darkness, they couldn't see the net. They would swim into it and get caught. So Peter and his friends have been working, working, working. They're not just fishing. This is not their hobby. This is their work. They've been working all night long. They were unsuccessful, and now they're washing their nets in the morning before they go and probably sleep through the day so they can do the whole thing again in the evening. And it says in verse 3, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So again, remember, the crowd is swelling. People are getting a little bit too close to Jesus. He's not able to address the whole crowd. And so he gets in one of Peter's boats, and they push him out a little bit bit, so he can get some space, and he can teach everybody. Now here's what we know about Jesus. Later on in the Gospel, we'll find out that he has the ability to walk on the water. So theoretically... He doesn't need the boat to take a few steps back. But what Peter needs is to give the boat. And I think for me that's really been a summary of the last nine years for for me. Jesus did not need any of this. He didn't need me. No offense, he doesn't really need you. What we need is to give. What we need is to serve. Because that's what we've been created to do. Jesus doesn't need the boat. Peter needs to give the boat. One of the coolest things that we ever have done as a a church was in the first month or two, um, we passed out index cards and we gave them to everybody in the, 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 the morning service and had them write down, what do you have to offer? We're all here. We're people of action. We want to serve. So what can you serve with? Maybe you have a house that you want to let 
people meet in, a community group meet in. Maybe you have a skill, and through that skill, you can help somebody in the church. And I remember getting a huge stack of index cards at the end of that Sunday with just people's willingness. And, and to see a stack of people's willingness, I mean, it's everything that a pastor wants in a church. And I, I don't know when the last time you took an inventory of your life and just said, what, what, what do I want to offer? It's so easy for me and for you to have these expectations for a church that it's just, just, hey, just make it the way that I want it. And, and if we could recover, if I could recover, if you could recover, no. Here's what I have to give. Here's what I have to offer. Instead of what spiritual goods and services do you have to offer me, church? What do I have to give to you? Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now notice that Jesus disregards Peter's past and his expertise. Jesus says, go out there. Peter speaks out of his expertise and the truth. We've been doing that all night. I'm a professional fisherman. We fish at night. The fish can't see the net. They swim into the net. They get caught. That's how we eat. That's how I provide for my family. Now Jesus is saying, no, go out in the, the daytime. So not, it's, it's, it's a double offense. Not only does Peter know there's no fish out there right now because we just did that, but also now I add the obstacle of fishing in the daytime. And God has a pattern of, of doing this, of asking his people to do things that don't make sense. He says to Joshua, you want Jericho to fall? You're going to march around this many times for this many days. The prophet tells Naaman, you want to be healed from leprosy? Just go and dip in that river seven times. And Naaman is offended by this in 2 Kings because he thinks it should be one way. He has a plan in mind. And God, through the prophet, says, no, this is the plan. I'm disregarding all of your recommendations. I'm disregarding all of your expertise. Moses, a great leader of people, leading a million plus people out of slavery in Egypt. He is the, 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 the liberator of an entire people. And God says, hold your hands up. And the body of water will split. No plan, no strategy. Just do this even though it doesn't make sense. Verse 6, again. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. See, there's a difference between doing something and doing something at the command of Jesus. Peter had already done all of this. You don't think at some point they cast their nets on the other side of the boat in the middle of the night when they were coming up empty, empty, empty. But there's a difference between doing something and doing something at the command of Jesus. It's, it's why Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 to the disciples right before he sends into heaven, before you get out there, and start with the mission. you got to wait. Because I'm, I'm going to have my Father send to you 
His own Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul calls the Spirit of Christ who's going to empower you, who's going to clothe you with supernatural power so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Don't just get out there and do something. Do something at the command of Jesus. It makes all the difference. So many times in the last nine years, uh, uh, somebody who's starting a church, a pastor who's starting a church, Will email me or call me and say, can, can we go and have uh, coffee? And, and I almost always say yes to that. And, and they ask the same question. What did you do? What, like, how, what happened? I want to do something similar. Maybe the churches will be a little bit different, but I, I want to learn. What did you do? And I have never had a good answer for that. Just be surrounded by amazing people and they do all the work and you can take all the credit. Seems like a great philosophy to me. I remember our very first uh, Sunday as a church, about an hour before church started, we gathered as a core team to pray. We were meeting at Houston Christian High School, and we gathered to pray in the gym, kind of away from everybody. We were going to pray, then we were going to be ready to receive guests. Uh, Didn't really know if anybody was going to come. Lots of things have changed uh, in the last nine years, but the one thing that has remained true is that I still show up to church on Sunday expecting that no one will come. That has been every single Sunday. I assume nobody is listening to this at home. So we were going to pray. We were going to receive guests or no guests. uh, But but when we gather to pray, you know, here at Bayou City, we like to pray all at once. And uh, and so we're praying out loud all at once. And then I was closing us in prayer. and, And I remember praying, I still remember it very vividly, praying in that moment that God would make us more than the sum of our parts. You know, m- meaning that you, know, you couldn't just be like, this person's gifted and talented, and this person's gifted and talented, and you kind of add all that up, and something good happens. That our church would be more than that. If you started to do an inventory of, of what was here, and then you looked at all that God was doing, the math wouldn't make sense. And I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, in prayer, um, where when you pray something and it feels like God just... Whoosh, turns his attention to that one thing that you prayed for. And I remember when that came out of my mouth, maybe I'd said it before, but I, I can't remember. It was like lightning in my soul, as if God was saying in that moment, of all of the prayers that you're going to, to pray over the next however many years, that one I will always answer. When you ask what I think Peter is experiencing here, that, it, that, that our church math would never make sense. That when you looked at us, and then you looked what God was doing through us, you would just be like, I don't know. And that's why when I go and have lunch and coffee with prospective church planners, I, I don't have a good answer because I think God has proven that. I've, I, I've, that's been confirmed to me the, this last week because some people very sweetly have been sending me some text messages uh, with uh, links to certain messages uh, throughout the year saying, hey, this one has meant a lot to me. And uh, honestly, I didn't remember uh, that particular sermon. So I would click on it uh, to remind myself, see if it would jog my memory. And so I've listened to a few of my messages the last week, and I'm here to tell you none of them are any good. So I walk away with two options. Number one, either I am the world's greatest con man And I have convinced all of you to just keep coming back or God has answered that prayer that that we are more than the sum of our parts. 
There's this trap, I think, that we fall into as church leaders and, and churches where we just do the work that we know to do and the nets are empty. But in, instead of looking around and being honest and saying, I, I think that for some reason our ministry is void of the supernatural power of God and getting down on our knees and letting our hearts break Instead of doing that, what church leaders like me lead churches to do is just make ministry of cleaning empty nets. Just, well, I guess this is what church is. It's just washing off empty nets. And I just want to encourage you, that's not a church that anybody wants to go to. I want to read the book of Acts and go to church on Sunday and have them be in the same ballpark instead of just making excuses why God doesn't do that kind of thing anymore, the ministry of cleaning empty nets. Jesus says, go and do it again. And to Peter's great credit, he does. He does. And if you are a leader in this house of faith, I want to implore you with all of my strength and with what credibility I have left. Be like Jacob, who wrestled with the angel of the Lord and refused to let him go until he blessed him. Please, somebody, some group of people, take up the mantle. God, I am going to wrestle with you until you make our church more than the sum of its parts until you turn your face in heaven towards us and bless us. I'm going to wrestle with you in some prayer closet. I'm going to wrestle with you in private places. We're going to wrestle together. But we want bad church math. Insist on it. Demand it. Go and find it. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Now, Peter's response, falling down on his knees before Jesus, saying, I'm a sinner. His response is not to the miraculous catch of fish. It's a response to the one who did the miracle. Peter knows there weren't any fish out there. Peter knows we worked hard all night. This is not a revelation of better fishing techniques. And tactics. This is a revelation that Jesus, who at this point is an incredible teacher, has the power of God on his ministry. And Peter wants to put as much distance between Christ and himself. He knows I am not worthy to be here. And look at such a tremendous act of grace by Jesus. What does Jesus do? Yeah, get away from me. I'm holy. You're unholy. Just go on and get out of here. No, Jesus does more than that. He says at the end of this little story, you're the one coming with me. And as we read the gospel, he's going to entrust more and more leadership to Peter, who will continue to prove himself a sin, sinful man. And then once Jesus ascends into heaven, he entrusts primary responsibility to Peter. You know, one thing I find interesting is that Peter just speaks for himself. Look at the passage again. Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, 
singular pronoun. For I, singular pronoun, am a sinful man. He doesn't speak for anybody else. He doesn't say, James and John, my partners in fishing, sinful men. He doesn't say, my brother Andrew, who's in this boat with me, he's a sinful man. He, he only speaks for himself. You know, Bayou City Fellowship has the best people. I say that all the time. People say, what's distinct about your church? I say the people. The people are the best. I was at a wedding last night. I was meeting a young man uh, sitting next to me, and he attends a different church in our city, and he, he, he told me that. And, and he said, well, tell me about Bayou City. And that's what I said. I said, Bayou City has the best people. And then I remembered he didn't attend our church, and then I said, no offense to you. I think one of the great dangers, because that is true, is that we might let that sink in. The, the, the sin crouching at the door of Bayou City Fellowship for the last nine years is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a spiritual-sounding word. It, it just means self-rightness, that, that because of myself, I feel right with God, right? that in my views and opinions of the world, how I'm experiencing the world, I am right, and those who agree with me are right, and those who disagree with me are wrong. And, and I think a danger, because God has brought such an amazing group of Jesus followers together, is that that would sink in a little bit too far. And we might do what happens at an amusement park if you've taken your kids to a theme park recently and they want to ride a roller coaster, you've you got to measure them. Because self-rightness and righteousness always needs somebody to compare itself to. You know, are you this tall? Are you qualified to lead? Are you qualified to ride the ride? Great danger for us. Being such an amazing, wonderful church is to go, are you good enough to go to church with us? Are you, are you tall enough to ride this Jesus ride with us? One of my great fears, not, not for Bayou City Fellowship, but just for the, the church in America, really, is that as, for whatever reason, whoever's to blame, we become more and more segmented from each other. That we will begin to build our churches like that. So there'll be churches for Democrats, there'll be churches for Republicans, there'll be churches for liberals, there'll be churches for conservatives, there'll be churches for libertarians, there'll be churches for homeschool families, there'll be churches for Christian school families, there'll be churches for public school families, there'll be churches for people who love the environment, there'll be people, churches for people who love energy that, that will just segment. And listen, there's nothing wrong with going to church with people who you have a lot of common interests with unless that common interest starts with the sense of I am always right. I'm, I'm not sure that God will honor church gatherings like that. How do we combat that? We combat it the way that Simon Peter does. Jesus, you are great and you are awesome and you are holy and you work wonders. And then in a split second of self-reflection, I don't even deserve to be in the same boat with you. And I'm not speaking for anybody else. I'm only speaking for me. A prayer that has saved my life, I think, over the last nine years. And it's not original to me. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 10, and this is where we'll finish. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Don't, don't be afraid. Why? He's caught lots of fish before. Don't be afraid because of what it says next. He left everything immediately and followed him. Don't be afraid. Following me is going to be worth it. Don't be afraid. Leaving your career is going to be worth it. Don't be afraid. Being transformed is going to be worth it. And not just Peter, but Peter and Andrew, his brother. James and John, his partners in fishing. They left everything They were filled with the mission and purpose of Christ. Many, many people have asked me the last two weeks, do you have any recommendations moving forward? uh, I think that I've, for the most part, said no. Um, But that was a lie. I do have one recommendation. I recommend Christ to you. Give him your boat. Whatever the boat is, write the boat on the index card. I recommend Christ to you if he asks you to do something that doesn't make sense. Like Peter, do it anyway. And I recommend Christ to you who is worth leaving everything to follow. You will make a lot of bets. You will take a lot of risks in your life. I promise it's the one that will always yield a return on your investment because you will not be storing up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves can't get into. I recommend Christ to you because the Christ teaching in the swelling crowd on the Sea of Galilee shore is coming back. And he's coming back to judge the living and dead. And he's coming back and he's bringing his reward with him. And I want to thank you, Bayou City Fellowship, for being the kind of church that I could, by the grace of God, one of the greatest privileges of my life, lead and pastor and shepherd, and at the end, be able to say, I am more ready for that moment when some miraculous, worldwide, supernatural trumpet blast of the angel of the Lord split sky, return to Jerusalem, Jesus Christ. I am more ready for that moment today than I was September 11th, 2011. There is not very much gas in my gas tank 
right now. But the one thing that I have more than enough fuel for is to spend my life giving my boat, obeying Christ, and leaving everything to follow. So I want to thank you for being that kind of church, the kind of church that built up my faith instead of stealing it from me, the kind of church that helped me love Christ more and long for his appearing more and more and more. I don't think that most pastors get to end their period of ministry and say that with an honest and true heart. So I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you. Christ has been my greatest treasure these last nine years. And you've helped that be true every single day. So God, I bless you. I bless you for these people. And I say thank you, all praise and glory and honor be to the living God for this great gift that you have given me. How lucky am I to go to church with people like this. I pray that that you would make us more and more willing, more and more willing to follow you. Jesus, we do ask for you to return today. Today, as would every day, would be a great day for your kingdom to come. In the meantime, find us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I've said, now more Sundays than I care to count, we're going to finish our gathering by praying for one another. And so on the bottom of the screen, you'll see our prayer number. Our prayer team is standing by. They want to pray with you. Uh, So if you have a prayer need of any kind, maybe it seems big to you, but you started comparing it to the prayer needs of people that you know and and your request seems small now. That's not the way that God operates. If it matters to you, it matters to Him. And so if you need prayer of any kind, I want to encourage you to call and pray. We're going to continue to worship together. I'm going to pray one more time. Jesus, I pray for every person who's going to call today. I pray that you would answer their request. I thank you that you're as near to them today as you were to Simon Peter in that boat. So, Spirit of God, would you help our prayer team know how to pray? Would, would, you, would you give them the words to say to minister and build up our church family? We ask this in Jesus' name.